0: Hi, this is Howard Jacobson and I am thrilled to be joined today on the phone by Lanny Mulerath, the plant-based fitness expert. Hello, Lanny.
1: Hey, Howard. How are you today?
0: I am awesome. And as, as, we were dis- <laughs> as we were discussing a minute ago, I'm actually working really hard. Well, I'm working harder on this interview than any interview I have, I've ever done. And we've just started, um, because I, just got rid of my chair in my office, raised up my desk, raised up my computer, and i'm standing and well
1: congratulations that is that is a big move that's the first place to get people started at sitting less <laughs> moving more is to actually sit less
0: <laughs> right well you, yes, you have, you have to be doing something, so you have to create space for the, for the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in a few moments, I hope we'll, we'll we'll get into why you think that's important. And I actually didn't do it because of anything you said. Um, although I just discovered in in your book that we'll talk about fit quickies, you actually have like six pages right near the beginning about standing and not sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, this is it's either you know coincidence or or fate that uh, that this is the first standing conversation i'm having but first um <laughs> i would love i would love for you to talk about so your your positioning is the plant-based fitness expert and what the heck do plant-based and fitness have to do with each other aren't they two separate topics
1: well it i'll tell you what there is such a synergy between what you eat and how you move or do not move your body that it's it's exciting to see how they can come together. Both exercise and a plant-based diet are anti-inflammatory in nature. And as we know, uh, inflammation, which comes from inactivity and a high animal product and processed foods, diet create our precursors to disease. So right there, as soon as you push in more vegetables and fruits and starchy vegetables and whole grains and legumes into your diet and are sitting less and doing strategic exercise, you are impacting your health, your energy, your mental acuity, your brain power, your self confidence. Do you want me to stop there? <laughs> yeah, I could keep going on. There's just so many reasons.
0: Okay. So I hear a lot about inflammation and I, I, know I don't, I don't want to get into sort of the technical biochemical yeah, yeah. aspects of it, but how, how would I know if I have inflammation? What are some of the symptoms? Because it sounds like something that's so common given that we're such a yeah. sedentary, um, animal product based culture. Yes. How, you know, it seems so normal. How would I even know what the symptoms are and, and that they're not normal?
1: Yes. Well, of course, the best thing to do is to have a C-reactive protein test taken. That will actually measure the, the inflammation in your system. But how you would know it is it will show up in various types of disease of which we are familiar, such as arthritis, that is inflammation in the joints, correct? It yes. could show up in congestive um, breathing congestion, which is inflammation in the breathing Areas and the lungs. It can show up in um, lethargy and lack of energy, it's reduced vitality, which is an indicator of, of overall reduced health. So those are probably the primary ways that they show up quite quickly.
0: Okay, so so um, could I imagine it as sort of like like sludge in the system? Like what would what would be a good analogy uh, for me to well, think about this? Well, if you about think
1: this- what inflammation, is something's kind of puffed up. And this is not inherently a bad thing. For example, when we exercise and we push a muscle beyond its prior capacity, there is a slight inflammatory response, which means you're rushing circulation and recovery to that muscle to enhance your muscle strength and build muscle. So it's not like a a bad thing inherently. But when it becomes chronic and when it is tied to problems like, we're talking about with sedentarism and um, ongoing stress to the body via a poor vitality diet. That's another thing.
0: Mhm. So it's so it's it's basically our bodies kind of aging faster, moving slower, and it sounds like it's not just physical, mm-hmm. but also our brains are involved, our digestion's well, involved.
1: Yeah, because those are all part of the physical. You know, they're not it's just like whole Howard, you know, <laughs> everything is connected. It's like our body. And that's right back to our the question of how do you connect a plant-based diet with fitness? It's because it's all part of the whole. And what is good for one part of the elephant, <laughs> as you use mm. that great analogy in whole, is good for the other part of the elephant. So, um there, there's the connection.
0: I see. So, um What's your, what's your career trajectory in terms of connecting these two? Did you start focused on nutrition or on fitness or both at the same time? How, how did you come to this synergy?
1: Yeah, I, that's a great question. I would have to say that I started out even at high school, I was very interested in nutrition and I was interested in exercise. So that's, you know, my foundation a long time ago. But in terms of career, I actually started by getting a degree in fine arts. I was very involved in dance, but I had the avocation of nutrition all along the way and became a vegetarian a long, long time ago just because of what I found out about the whole situation with, uh, you know, nutrition and diet and And starting on the plant-based avenue, then I did progress my education in physical education and got a master's degree and several credentials and certifications within physical culture in a variety of modalities. And that led to teaching at the college and university level as well as my private practice. But all along the way, uh, people have looked to me for how to tie in the nutrition with the exercise because I stress it needs to be addressed. You cannot isolate exercise from nutrition from mastery of mindset or your habits of thinking. And those three, I call them the three pillars of healthy success, are just integral companions in body transformation. So that's progressed to this point. So for the last 15 years or so, it's really been... Wedding those three together in my coaching practice.
0: Gotcha. So, I have to, I have to kind of confess a problem I have with a lot of fitness uh, expertise and advice that I get. And and I'll I'll preface that by saying that for many years I was as confused as most Americans about <laughs> diet. You know, there's so much contradictory yeah. information coming at yeah. you. But you know, through the years and and working with Dr. Campbell on whole I think I have that pretty much figured out like I can tell the you know the, the the gold from the from the fool's gold yes and that's part of my mission to help uh help spread that discernment and awareness but so so here's here's my beef with uh with a lot of fitness experts is I'll read their books and they're quoting all these studies to to s- support their fitness perspectives but then their diet Recommendations are all like salmon and lean chicken. And I, th- and so then I can't help but think, well, if they get that wrong, what else did they get wrong? Oh
1: God, I know exactly what you're saying. So, yeah. so
0: I noticed that your book is full <laughs> of, um, studies, um, explanations, you know, citations from the Journal of Psychology and the Biomedical Research Center and all that. Um, so, so I'm, I'm going to kind of lean on you as, an expert in, in, in physiology and exercise who actually knows the difference between good studies and bad. Mm-hmm. So so, what do we know about fitness um, that's that, that most people think they know about fitness that's just dead wrong? What, what are some of the biggest myths that you encounter every day?
1: You know, it's interesting. Someone just sent me, this comes to mind, uh, article yesterday asking me to comment on it where the person who wrote the article, a fitness person, I think they were selling some particular program, a big diatribe against cardio. Don't do cardio. Just do muscle training. And this is the kind of, you know, muscle resistance training. And this is the kind of thing that really confuses people. And I was going to the article and I, and I need to get back and comment on it because one item after another on it reinforces this problem that just kind of has people with whiplash with what exercise to do. For example, he said the only reason to do cardio would be to exercise is to build muscle so your metabolism goes up. Well, who said, who decided that? There are so many reasons to get your body moving, and he has taken that one isolated thing and built a whole case about all, all exercise is simply to boost your metabolism because you want to lose weight. So, in reading the article, the whole perspective from this particular commentator was to hook that desire of people. We all want it. You know, we want to lose our fat, we want to be leaner and more fit, and pack the article with information like that that was not research supported. That's one of the problems is here we go a redu- reductionism. God we have such a connection here Howard. Reductionism from whole it's the same thing in the medical world as in the fitness world. Then there's a camp that tells you about the the reps versus um high reps and low weights versus heavy weights and heavy weights and low reps versus Low weights and high reps. Have you heard about that conversa- conversation that's in the gym quite a bit?
0: Yeah, I generally plug my ears. But I, I'm fr- <laughs> well, good for you. So, so ba- basically it's, it's saying, you know, lift something light a lot of times or lift something heavy, something almost as heavy as you could possibly lift and do yes. it just a few times. Yes.
1: Now this is a really good example of why we sometimes should just put our fingers in our ears and go, no, no, no because there is a really good um, article that you will probably find interesting by Richard Carpinelli and he examined this exact phenomenon because when I was researching the fit quickies which are done many times with just body weight resistance or a lighter weight resistance but they're very effective in a short period of time because of the way they isolate and overload the muscle I wanted to find out what does the research really say about the reps versus weights because you see The the muscle heads and the big bodybuilders are all pushing us, you know, go heavy, do a few, um, and that whole world. And the research does not support that it takes heavy weights to build muscle. The research says that all you need to do is challenge the muscle within 90 seconds. That's within the anaerobic threshold. When After that time, it would become an endurance exercise. But either way, studies show you can build muscle. So this makes a big difference between how we look at using resistance training. Um, And actually, my preference for people is to not necessarily push with heavy weights because it can be so orthopedically challenging, you know, really harmful on the joints and you may build a, a killer bicep in short, a few repetitions, but there are other compromises that are not conducive to health. I'm about health. I'm about functional health and people feeling good in their bodies and being able to last a long time in them. So anyway, in this research study, what Carpinelli did, and this is very enlightening to our conversation here, is he reviewed the let- literature and he said, Where is this coming from about you have to use a heavy weight and low repetitions and to build muscle? And one after another, he came across this referenced as, but uh, mentioned in articles, but not Scientifically referenced. It was like being passed on like oral tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, like we pass on our stories from one generation to another. It was unsubstantiated. He only found one study that, and you know how research is, it'll find some Results on one side of the argument, some on the other, and you just try to find where the, the preponderance of evidence is. Every else, everything else was, it doesn't matter, you get results as long as, well here's the upshot. Think effort, not heavy. And if you get your effort within a prescribed amount of time, and this is in the, uh, Fit Quickies book, those 90 seconds and where that research came from, then you can accomplish solid muscle challenge. So there's a good example. Did that answer a question? <laughs> that was a long answer.
0: Yeah. yeah, and, and, and let me ask you another one because for a couple of years, I was following the fitness advice of a, um, a chiropractor who's worked with a lot of um, endurance athletes, a lot of runners and swimmers and triathletes. And his perspective was you want to keep your heart rate at a certain place and you don't really almost ever want to go higher than that because if you're doing that, you're just putting your body under stress and stress is bad. And so for, for a couple of years, actually, I ran with a heart rate monitor and as soon as it got above, you know, 131, I would slow down or walk. Um, and it, it certainly, you know, got me moving and it was, it mm-hmm. was kind of, it was kind of nice to not have to, you know, feel like I had to be out of breath, but I also wondered, like, what am I missing out on? So, you know, so, so there's folks like that who say, you know, always stay, you know, slow running, keep within a limit. And there's other folks who say you really need to push yourself and get your heart rate up to challenge yourself so that you're going to so that you're going to grow and increase your your cardiac and uh, and lung capacity. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that I'm confused about.
1: Well, what was 30 131 was that what did that number represent was that like 70% of your maximum heart rate?
0: That was like 180 minus my age with a little adjustment for vanity.
1: Okay, so, but was it at 70% of your, uh, you know, your maximum heart rate? That's what that's a maximum. The
0: the formula that that he came up with was 180 minus your age is your maximum heart rate.
1: Oh, okay. Well, let me ask you, well, here's uh, one answer to that. It also depends on your goals. So were you interested in simply Having good cardiovascular challenge to keep fit. Were you thinking of improving your ability to run faster and stay in a cardiovascular training zone without getting into anaerobic exercise, so that you could be fast at a 10k race? That's yeah. my first answer to the question. To that right.
0: well, I was. I was. Uh, I was uh, training for a, a half marathon, and I also I play ultimate frisbee, and I would like to be able to. Play yes. two hours of, you know, sprint and stop, sprint and stop. Okay. And It, it wasn't doing anything for that.
1: Yes. All right. Well, here's the thing. There is research out, and you know what, I'll make a note and send you a link to the article I have on my blog about the anti-inflammatory effects of high-intensity exercise. So for a while, we had this thought, you know, you get into a certain level of exercise, and as you said, of course, it does create a stress on your body, but not all stress is bad because... Any kind of stress, whether it's resistance exercise or pushing your aerobic capacity a little bit, allows your body to then become stronger or be able to jump higher or run faster. We do know that prolong- prolonged uh, aerobic exercise, got 45 minutes or an hour and beyond that, does create a stress that is less beneficial for you. So if you are a, like an endurance athlete who likes to run marathons and is running several hours a day, probably, uh, that's really not a healthy thing. It may make you better at being a marathoner, but it is not a health building activity. Here's another thing to look at. You said your, your goal was to be better at, you know, get a little bit better at your jump starts at, um, ultimate frisbee and also to run a race. We do know that doing intermittent high-intensity interval training helps you grow your aerobic capacity. That means that you can actually train your body to be able to run faster before you reach that lactate threshold. You know where your muscles are burning so much, you just got to stop and catch your breath. Mm -hmm. You can get better at being able to utilize um body fat for energy, by training that. But it doesn't mean running as fast as you can for 45 minutes. It means going that 131 or whatever the rate you had was, letting yourself go, and then picking a 30-second period and running, like run from fire, and then back off and let yourself do a slow recovery. That is a proven way to enhance aerobic capacity, make your body more resistant to disease, and also create a more... um a better lean to fat ratio.
0: I see. So, so it feels like I, w- I was sort of lurching from extreme to extreme because it, when I, when I then adopted sort of a high intensity interval training mindset, I would warm up and then I would do like 32 minutes of sprint for 30 seconds and walk for 30 seconds. And that sounds like maybe I wasn't giving myself enough recovery time. Oh my gosh. Would...
1: You were doing that for 30 minutes?
0: Yeah. 30, every other,
1: 30. every, okay. Well, look at it this way. The purpose of the sprints is so that you can really give it all out. So if you're only doing a 30-second recovery... That means cumulatively over that like half hour training that you were doing, it was probably harder and harder to get it up and go for that right
0: <laughs> Yeah I probably if, if someone was watching me my, like my last five sprints probably looked like you know a slug crawling across the road <laughs> yeah. it, see, it seemed as fast as I could go but I'm, I'm yeah. sure it, uh... well
1: the purpose of the, reco- the recovery periods is to restore you so that you can give it all out. In those sprints, so probably what you described would maybe some coach would take the college athletes through something like that as part of their training, but for your purposes, having more recovery time so you can push even harder doing those intervals might be a better choice
0: mm. so so again this is this is a uh... And it's it's so funny to hear myself say this because, of course, I preach this all the time around nutrition is that your body has a wisdom that overrides numbers. And here I am with a stopwatch trying to override my body's wisdom, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's one reason I like to use that Borg scale of perceived exertion so that instead of going by what your heart monitor says, which really the heart monitor thing can be one way to kind of measure if you're in your right zone for running. But it's not really – it's kind of a, a little bit of a fuzzy science. It's not exact. It can be an indicator for you. Whereas the Borg scale perceived exertion, you actually go by, did this feel like really high intensity or was this really easy for me to do? And you set up your intervals that way.
0: Boy, you know, as, as I'm listening to you, I feel inside me this resistance to having to be that body smart. I like like part of me is going no 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 I want the numbers I don't I don't trust myself yeah, to sure. know how much I'm exerting and I'm I find this just hilarious because you know <laughs> this is like what I preach in one domain and it's it's like I'm a beginner in the same concept in this other domain.
1: Well, remember this doesn't make what you are doing wrong. It's personal preference, and if it works for you and it gives you the training effect you're looking for, it doesn't matter.
0: Right, right, and but 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 again, that's a that's a judgment call. That mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I have to, you're telling me that at some level, somewhere, somehow I have to take responsibility for the, for the way I feel during training and the results I'm getting after training, as opposed to me feeling like, just tell me what to do. So I don't, <laughs> well, so, so I don't in- have to, I don't have to pay attention to my body because, because I just, I just, I just want some number. Yeah. It's, it's just like yeah. someone saying, how many grams of, of protein should I eat today? And me saying, yes. just don't worry about it. Eat, eat what feel, you know, eat from this class yeah. and eat what feels good.
1: Well, I, I figure whatever gets the job done, whatever your temperament, temperament in is gonna, and is gonna keep you safe and going where you want to go.
0: Cool. So, so um one, one of the, one of the concepts in fitness that I've been hearing a lot lately, and I think it may have been popularized by, by Tim Ferriss in, in his work, is the idea of a minimum effective dose. So this mm-hmm. is another area where, you know, I think it's probably the most basic question that people who are couch potatoes ask. Like, if I were to get off the couch and exercise, how much do I need in order to X, whether it's extend my life, be fit, lose weight? And, and I've heard things like an hour a day, 30 minutes walking Three times a week, you know, like a, a huge gamut. And then there's, there's all these studies about, you know, like this, this machine that they used to advertise on airplane magazines, like four minutes a day. Yeah. So, so in terms of time, what, what does the research say about, you know, the minimum you need to do and the uh, optimal and what might be too much?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, it, the, to start out with, it depends on where you are. So when you're looking at an ideal prescription for a healthy adult, we always have to keep that in mind. And in Fit Quickies I do have the exercise prescription where I I adopted the guidelines from the American College of Sports Medicine about what you need each week in terms of cardiorespiratory training, strength training, and flexibility training as a healthy adult. Because there is so much confusion out there. Now what they did is they took 400 evidentiary uh, studies, which means the evidence of what people were doing to exercise to maintain health in those categories, and pulled together results of that to come up with something that I could hand you and say, all right, this is what we know to this point in time about how much you need for each of these to be a healthy adult. So stepping the next step from start where you are, which is very important, And you and I have already had the conversation about sitting less and standing more. And if someone comes to me and they weigh, which this has happened, they weigh 300 pounds, and they go, it's hopeless, what am I supposed to do? I can't exercise. And I have them start by standing for a minute at a time, then for two minutes at a time, then for five minutes at a time, and then breaking that up throughout the day. Just to give you an idea of where we really need to be meeting people. With what they can achieve and what they need to enhance their health. And when it comes to cardiorespiratory training, we know that we need 30 to 60 minutes, three to five times a week. Now that sounds like a big span, a big span, right? But yeah. it de- it's it depends on intensity. So if you are doing interval training, as you just described to me that you were doing, then you're at the lower side of your time investment, which is a match for your. Uh, minimum dose, kind of, you know, get the most you can done in the least amount of time. Right. That's very effective for people who have limited time. That time can also be broken up into chunks. So if you are are realizing that your level of intensity of cardiovascular exercise, whatever it is, means that you should be doing thirty minutes a day, then you could break that up into ten minutes first thing in the morning. 10 minutes at noon and 10 minutes late in the day and still be gaining the cardio respiratory benefits that we need as healthy adults. So it's not, it's a simple answer, but it's not a simple answer because it depends on your condition and it depends on what intensity of exercise you are doing. So time and intensity are very related.
0: I see. When it comes, go ahead. Yeah. So, so like something I've heard is, From some people is that you, you know, you have to do something for a minimum of 45 minutes at a time because that's when the fat burning kicks in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you're saying that there's, there's no problem with breaking it up into shorter segments. No, there
1: isn't. The research says that and I'm glad you brought that up because this is one of those things that is one of those carried forward from a long time ago. And here's the thing. When you are exercising for a longer period of time at a lower intensity, you are burning proportionately a higher percentage of your energy from fat stores because that takes a lot of oxygen. It burns slowly as compared to glycogen in your muscles. Now, this has been interpreted for people say, oh, I definitely want to burn fat, so I want to keep my intensity low. Hmm. Well, what we have to do is look at what is the goal here besides becoming healthy. If your goal is to burn calories, and burn fat, then what you really should be focusing in on is creating a bigger calorie deficit. That can be done in a shorter period of time with higher intensity. And maybe during your exercise time, you burn a little bit more of the glycogen than the body fat. But overall, the calorie deficit you are creating is what is important. It doesn't matter where it comes from during your exercise. Does that make sense?
0: I think so. It's it's almost like you're saying um, I'm 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 struggling to put together the metaphor, but it's it's like if you want to go into debt, um, it you know whether you spend the cash or put it on your credit card is less important than how much you're spending overall.
1: That's a great analogy. That's a great analogy.
0: So that you know, so that one is one is more immediate than the other, but really, the the big issue is how many calories overall are you burning here? Exactly. I see. Well, that's great. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you know, the thing about breaking it up during, over the day, there's another benefit to that. In the matter, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, there is, are several research studies about that that are reported in the Fit Quickies book. Well, one of them in particular, if your goal is to reduce body fat, there was one study where they took a group of people over a 10 week period and they had them put their, do all their cardio training every day in one 30 minute chunk. And the other group over 10 weeks, they broke their cardio up into 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there and 10 minutes there. Now at the end of the time, all the results for uh, improvement in cardiorespiratory Fitness were the same, but this is interesting. The group that broke it up into the intermittent exercise had more of a decrease in waist measurement, which meant that they had become a little bit leaner than the, the long, the half hour, you know, the 30-minute group. And it didn't explain why, but I have my theories about why. For one thing, we know that exercise restores that prefrontal cortex of the brain. Even three to five minutes is a perfect match for the, you know, Fit Quickies five minute exercises. And the prefrontal cortex of the brain is your command center, that part of you that encourages you to make a better choice, right? Whether it's by what you do or what you eat specifically. So even though these people were told, don't change your diet, I can't help but think getting these intermittent shots of exercise during the day made them step up to the plate on making healthier choices. Plus, they were getting a metabolic boost three times during the day. Chances are maybe they were sitting a little bit less than the couch potatoes, <laughs> you know, who might, might have had a 30-minute stretch of exercise. So I find that study very interesting. I,
0: I wonder also, and I don't know how the, uh, the the observations were done, but if it was self-report, I would think that the people doing 10 minutes would be more likely to do it.
1: Ah, right? uh, yeah. Cause one yeah. of the
0: big things I, I hear and I, and I face is people say, well, I don't, I don't really have time, you know, and, and if, if your exercise is going to be a 30 minute session and you kind of want to warm up for 10 minutes and then you got to shower afterwards and, and recover, you know, it kind of turns into an hour. And if you're going to go to the oh, gym, easily. then, you know, it's easily an hour, an hour and a half out of the day as opposed to, Like, like that's a pretty daunting excuse. (laughs) Like, like I can can buy that. But if it's if it's if you if you're saying ten minutes, I can kind of grab that before lunch, before breakfast, before dinner.
1: Yes, it takes the "I don't have time to exercise" kind of out of the equation.
0: Which which brings actually to another um, question that I'm interested in, which is I tend to be a grazer. Like I enjoy eating, I enjoy snacking, and, and for years I've told myself if I don't exercise first thing in the morning, I'm just going to be too full to exercise for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, and even if it's like an hour later, I still feel like food in my belly. So, how how do you tell how do you help people um, with the timing of their food and their exercise? Like, is it a bad thing to graze? Should I just be fasting between meals?
1: Okay, well I see a couple questions there. You're asking for ideal eating patterns and you're asking about coordinating your exercise with your eating. So where do you want to start?
0: Well, let's start with with coordinating the exercise. Well, no. Okay. Let's, let's 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 start with the ideal eating pattern. So if I'm doing something <laughs> wrong, then I should fix it before worrying about how to adapt my exercise to to a bad eating habit, eating pattern. Yeah.
1: Here's my philosophy about eating patterns. I I aspire and coach people to become body managed eaters. That means your body decides when and how much you eat. And you decide the what. You decide what you're going to provide your body with as fuel. This is just being a good animal. Now I don't see any of the, you know, the, I'm sitting out here. I'm seeing the squirrels on the deck. Nobody's looking at their watch. Nobody's trying to decide, should I maybe wait two more hours? Should I fast longer before the next meal? And yet they're eating entirely from a natural whole foods environment, which is their designated food and their preferred food. This was always my ideal because I really got tired of the micromanagement as a longtime dieter. You know, I lost 50 pounds several years ago, and I maintained it with this uh, a body-managed eating approach Uh, All of the tricks out there of don't eat for six hours, eat every two hours, each one of them had their own upside-downside because it meant I had to keep overthinking the fueling process. And it just always was some kind of a disconnect for me. If you are eating a whole foods, plant-based diet, you can rely on your hunger signals to... Control and manage your body weight. If you're eating a standard American diet, you can't because of all the problems with, you know, what I'm, you know, all about that lack of fiber, um, too much process. You can't trust your appetite signals. So the answer to that question is I think it is largely dependent on personal preference. Sometimes I'll eat three times a day. Sometimes I'll eat eight times a day. It just depends. You know it kind of varies, and I don't think it matters. If your doctors told you you need to do some kind of pattern to c- comply with your diabetes treatment, that's a whole other story. I'm just talking about healthy adults
0: right can, can i Can I challenge you on that just a little bit for for, mm-hmm. for, my, for my own experience, which mm-hmm. th- is there are days when I'm like really involved in what I'm doing and it's fun and it's challenging, and there's other people around, and I can go for several hours without eating. And then there's other Mm -hmm. days where I'm sort of in my office and I'm like struggling to finish a presentation and I'm not entirely engaged in it. And I just want to keep eating. So, you know, to me, it's not entirely about hunger signals. It's a lot about I'm bored, I'm frustrated, I want to numb myself out with something tasty, which is, I think, you know, different from squirrels. So there's is you know given that there's there's days when i'm just sort of emotionally struggling and i use food as a drug for that are mm-hmm. there any guidelines i mean you know to 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 kind of help me from just sort of overeating based based on emotional uh, sure
1: well let's look at the first thing too like where i said you if your body's in control of the when and the how much you're in control of the what So that's the first thing to look at. Like, what are you making available to yourself to meet that need? Whether it's, you know, hunger-driven or you're feeling like there's a stress response. That's the first question. The other thing is when I coach someone becoming a body-managed eater, we need to go through a protocol of how to get in touch with your hunger signals and how to learn not to ignore them when you're engaged in other things, precisely because what you described can happen. And also, because especially people who have a long history of dieting, there is a lot of experience with suppressing, ignoring, medicating hunger because the dieter thinks eating bad, being hungry, good. This creates tremendous stress on the body. And stress hammers away at that prefrontal cortex that I was talking about just a few minutes ago, which kills your willpower, which makes it impossible not to buckle and eat the nearest whatever. So there are preemptive things that you do to prepare yourself to be able to eat in this fashion. It means that you need to be in touch with your signals. It means that you need to be prepared with good food so that when you do get hungry – which you have to take time during the day to find out if you are or not until you get that habit, and then you'll be able to respond to it so that you can feed yourself appropriately to that time. Awesome. The other thing is stress management, not only by not going hungry for long periods of time, but by doing um, light exercise during the course of the day, not sitting so much, um, breathing exercises, any kind of meditation. Those all are... Are, they are like willpower workouts which I have a chapter for for in the book so does that help
0: that does that does and it sounds it sounds like that if I if I really take that seriously um, pay attention to the hunger signals and it sounds like you're also saying something that I say all the time around other things which is when you feel an urge pause and see what happens to it and try to, and try to sort of dive into it and learn from it mm-hmm uh that th- at that point my my exercise and uh, eating timing can kind of sort of naturally synchronize
1: yeah that can be good advice and at sometimes though if our we are really stressed out we just don't seem to have the ability to take that pause it's going to be a you know a flight <laughs> flight into food or a flight flight into some other stress immediately stress relieving activity and that's why it's necessary to to train yourself through the course of the day to stay connected with what your body signals are. And that can be hard at first, especially if we're just used to, you know, not paying any attention. And hunger doesn't always mean a rumbly stomach. Hunger can be, you know, lack of mental focus. It can be, um, some kind of other energetic problem. It can show up in a variety of ways.
0: So it sounds like what you're really talking about is, like, learning to love ourselves. <laughs>
1: You know, that's a good way to put it. It's actually, you know, to respond to your needs. I call it being a good animal.
0: Mm-hmm. But, you know, but I, th- I know, I think of the, the way people talk about eating. Um, it's very often, you know, food is something that I shouldn't be having. Yes. Like, See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And, and exercise is something I have to do to myself. It's almost yeah. like a, you know, the, the way, <laughs> the way we talk about exercise, like kicked my ass and just calling it a workout, it's, yeah. it's always like something I'd rather not be doing, but I have to because it's good for me. Yeah. So, you know, very very little in both domains is driven by the most powerful yeah. thing of all, desire.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I think that there's good reason for this, um you know, reluctance to exercise because we are born to be, even though we're meant to run, jump, and play, we're also inclined to be lazy because developmentally, didn't we need to conserve our energy? We're not being forced to move like we used to be. And in the old days when we had to you know, flee the herd of whatever or spend the day hunting and gathering, that it was necessary for us whenever we could to take a respite. And our biology has not caught up with our, caught up with our technology, so we still have that urge to take it easy. That doesn't mean that we don't all feel tremendously instantly better when we move our body for just a few minutes. And that can help us move beyond that negative connection, looking at the positive results that come quite quickly.
0: Oh, I love that. Beautiful. Um, so you, you have a three-word phrase that seems to be the the foundation of your methodology around fitness, which is isolate and overload. Um, can Am I right? Is that kind of the... That's the
1: principle of targeted, isolated body shaping. And whenever you want to challenge a muscle, it has to be isolated and overloaded. Now, that doesn't mean that muscle is all by itself. It does. All muscles work in concert. They're always joining up with their friends. But you can position the body so that you target specifically more focused areas, which means you can get into it and work it harder more quickly. So there are compound comprehensive exercises. For example, if you are to do a squat exercise and, you know, hold dumbbells in your hand, you're pretty much working your entire body. You're working your legs, you're working your core, you're working your torso, your back, you've got dumbbells in your hands, so you're working your arms. And there's a big movement to having, just doing all these comprehensive exercises, which is great for fitness. However, when you bring all these large, the prime movers of the body into play, like the, the gluteals and the the quadriceps and the large muscles in your back, they want to keep taking over the workload. Which means some of those smaller muscles that are engaged but may be less inclined to jump into the action because the big boys are there can have start to get underdeveloped. And this can make a change in your shape and strength and agility over time. So... The target and the isolate and overload means let's find those muscles that are also really responsible for the shape and strength of your body, but we may be missing a few, and let's make sure we're hitting them all, as well as doing the compound moves. So there are both kinds of exercises in the Fit Quickies collection.
0: Mm. And I guess you know, I've read something about, uh, and I certainly have experience with, the idea of, uh, of cheating or compensation. Yeah, oh yeah. So it sounds like isolating muscles can help figure out which ones are simply not firing. Yes, that's
1: exactly right. And An example just came to mind. Um, You know the triceps muscle on the back of the arm, correct? Yep. Okay, and that's a universal area of concern. It tends to lose condition unless we're doing regular push-ups or kneading bread or doing something that pushes because all... Muscles pull. So when your arm moves into a straight position, your tricep muscles help pull the arm straight. Well, one of the exercises that fit number three is triceps triple play because the triceps muscle has three heads on it and you need to hit all three of them to really engage that muscle. You get yourself into, uh, what's called like a triceps kickback position, which you are probably familiar with, Howard. It, most people who've done any kind of weight training know the exercise where you're leaning over and you bring your arm up by your side, your chest is toward the floor, you have your arm in close to your body, you might be holding a little weight and you lift the arm behind you. Does that sound familiar?
0: I'm actually looking at the picture in the book. Oh, okay. So you're, you're, okay. so you're, your uh, right Hand and knee are on a bench. Yes, on this version,
1: I'm kneeling on the bench. And my purpose, this is very connected. I am on the bench because that makes you even more horizontal, which helps isolate and overload the tricep muscle even more than if you were standing and leaning into a position that had your body more at an angle than um, parallel to the floor. But with this exercise... Notice how I have that arm is up to my side, and I have very carefully instructed to keep your your headlights straight to the floor or the bench below you, your shoulders square. Because as that arm comes up to your side, the muscles in your back and your arm jump into action. Now, as you're moving through this exercise, the tendency is to want to let the body rotate toward the working arm so that the muscles on your shoulder, which are stronger, take over and take the word at work out of the, the tricep so through the exercise I precaution against watching for that that's all you always have to fight against that happening because your body wants to cheat it wants to make the workload easy so through the way I've set up the Fit Quickies is I'm very specific about how you need to keep your body aligned so you get this isolate and overload effect does that make sense?
0: yep Yep yeah, and it's it's almost like um, examining a necklace a valuable necklace and isolating the weakest link in the chain so that you can address it so that the the whole necklace is stronger.
1: Man, you are the king of analogies. You must be a writer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I do these interviews so I so I have an excuse to not write. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Distraction, huh? So,
0: yeah. <laughs> Um, So I guess the other thing I wanted to to talk to you about is a little bit of your your own story because you're you're not shy about saying that even though you were exercising and you were a fitness instructor, at one point you were still quite overweight. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about about that, about maybe some of the things you tried and what what ended up working?
1: Yes. And I, I, I am very happy to share about this because this is where people can connect with my story. Um, one of my pet peeves is learning about weight loss from someone who never had a weight problem. And don't get me wrong, I, we get a lot of information from the doctors and the dietitians. But when it comes to someone who understands the challenges of putting that into place, that's where I come in. It's a really strong connecting point because people know that I understand where they've come from. So I'm one of those people who's genetically predispositioned to easily gain weight and to have a body that's kind of reluctant to let it go. And luckily, we found out now that there are specific ways that you can influence those genetic factors. In other words, your predisposition is not your destiny. And for people like myself, that means really having to pay attention to quality of diet and really being needing to be uh, connected with having an active lifestyle so I would have to say that for 30 years I struggled with how to make that come into place remember when I told you earlier Howard that I had um, my goal was like body managed eating I just thought that' was my ideal I I micromanaged things for years, whether it was counting calories, whether it was looking at major uh, macronutrients, you know, balancing carbohydrates, fat and protein. I guarantee you I can go up against anyone and have a longer list of diets that I did, even as a vegetarian for weight loss. I even did Atkins variation with with a vegetarian <laughs> variation but each one of these even though I had success for a while because you can look through you know when I have my tv show I was lean for quite a while um, during my fitness teaching I was lean for quite a while but that was due to being able to really have a longer period of time when I was successfully micromanaging you know balancing my eating my exercise but eventually it just becomes exhausting. You just, you know, you, you addle your brain with counting, with journaling, with always fighting the edge of hunger. And I, as I said, I was determined to find a way that I could be full without being fat. That's all I ever really wanted. I wanted to be full without being fat. And as a vegetarian, uh, I became a vegetarian about 40 years ago, but I was still eating, using vegetable oils and I was using dairy products. Everything else was gone. I wasn't eating animals or, um, eggs or any of that but i still i i figured the fat the weight was going to melt off me right but it didn't and it took me several years to figure out that my particular composition demanded lower fat not having processed foods if, if very rarely if at all meaning the oils and moving the dairy out of my diet because of many problems with that a- along with the fiber free concept with that so that's not a match for wanting to be without being fat. So it was many years of struggle, but finally getting that t- together and moving all the way into whole foods plant-based uh, has been what really made the difference with weight. But you know, what I'm really pleased with myself that I never let that get in the way of my teaching, my coaching, my athletic endeavors. I was always teaching fitness and was doing really great programs. I just had this struggle.
0: Mm. And I, th- I think a lot of us in in any sort of helping field can relate to that where it's, there's, 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 you know, obviously we need to, you know, we can't be like doctors right who are sick and, you know, smoking and overweight <laughs> and stressed out and pasty and, and, you know, you yeah. know we, 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 but, but, but none of us is perfect. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's very um, seductive to feel like we need to be perfect before we can help anybody else.
1: Yeah. Doesn't yeah. work that way.
0: And in fact, I I found that almost everything I teach is what I need to hear on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Like, like the fact that other people are willing to pay me for, to me for me to talk about it is a bonus.
1: Mhm. Yeah, um, that's very powerful. I agree.
0: So it's you know, it's wonderful that you're a, you're able to to show up as 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 a knowledgeable helpful person mm-hmm. even though you hadn't, you know, achieved 100% perfection in Yeah. In your own life. And I, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm guessing that that made you more powerful.
1: Yeah. Especially when I was able to achieve the level of success that I have now for these last like 15 or so years with really being able to successfully keep the weight, um, off. And you know, it wasn't easy going in front of people when I was on a gaining cycle. I had, I remember finishing teaching a step aerobics class once and someone coming up and said, Oh, I heard you were pregnant. And I go, no. Hmm. No, I'm not. You know, and you can't take that comment back.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) too late. (laughs) Yeah, I make I make it a habit never never to mention pregnancy until I see the baby, just in case. Uh huh. Uh huh.
1: But you know, the same thing is for weight loss. Like I'm really aware of. We tend to want to really compliment someone when they've lost a lot of weight, but sometimes that can be due to illness or have been treated for cancer, and you know, none of us ever knows what anyone else is going through unless we know
0: right yeah i I had i was uh i was very young when somebody um taught me a a a suggestion saying just never comment on people's appearance Hmm. and and i find you know there's there's times when you when i want to and it might be appropriate but in in general Hmm. uh, like just shut up
1: Yeah. So was that born from their experience? Did they have a bad experience that they were precautioning you, kind of like mine, the pregnancy? (laughs)
0: Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I know. But as soon as I heard it, it just because it seems like it's like we we like to blurt, and you know, if I'm having weight struggles or I have you know a skin condition or something that's just sort of really top of mind that I'm a little bit ashamed about. Yes. right and especially in this in this space where i'm in right now where i'm teaching people to be healthy the, you know it's so easy for me to go down you know as as if i like um my body was a big sheet of butcher paper and i just had these post it notes and i can just write down everything that's wrong with me and stick it all over my body <laughs> to the point where it would all be yellow you wouldn't see any of the brown butcher paper uh, y- you know and uh, yeah and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of external shaming that goes on in in society that I can you know I can just ride that train and turn it turn it on myself. So it yeah. was it was useful for me to to at least pause when thinking about mentioning how other people were looking, yeah, for, you know, especially better because that that's also a uh, a judgment. <laughs>
1: Yes, and because, and something else is coming to mind, because I know this happened to me, getting compliments about weight loss, and then the next time I would see the person, my weight would be up, and they wouldn't say anything, but I'd know that they were plugged into my weight, because they'd noticed it before. And I'm going, what are they thinking now? They're not saying anything. Yeah, these are all really important things for us, when we're dealing with whole humans, you know?
0: Yep, and, you know the point the point of life is not you know your ideal weight it's
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: it's 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 an it can be an important component yeah. the point of your life is not even your ideal health sometimes mhm you know so uh i think all all of these can be forms of of idolatry that take us away from the whole you know, the whole the, yep. the, the and and the whole that extends beyond our own bodies into into our communities and our world Um uh, mm-hmm. So I think you know we're all no no nobody is there there's I think there's a there's a uh, a sort of advertising driven energy in the fitness and nutrition world that that creates this idea that there is a perfection that it's our job to reach and until we've reached it there's something a little bit wrong with us we're not we don't have enough willpower we don't have enough information we aren't virtuous enough and I think that the the for a lot of people the the most powerful thing they can do for their health health, is just drop that.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. This underscores why my focus is on the, the process of what being active and eating well do for you on a daily basis. You need to keep in touch with your why. This really helps move you forward. Like, why do you want to get healthy? And does that mean because you want to be able to run through the airport if you have your plane, does it mean because you want to be able to play with your children or grandchildren more? Does it mean because you want to be able to get to the supermarket without getting exhausted carrying your groceries at home? That's important, but really connecting with exactly your experience of what it means to live at a higher level of vitality is what's important.
0: Yep, that, uh, that we, we're, we're each here for a reason. Right, And uh, maybe our our one responsibility is to figure out what that reason is and uh, <laughs> fulfill it as best we can. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything that you'd like to share that I haven't asked you about? Well,
1: you know, I realize we didn't finish up the conversation about exercise prescription. We talked about the cardiovascular. Oh, right. Okay. But we should just quickly, we can touch on the resistance training, which you should two to three times a week. You need to challenge all of the muscles of the body in a way that overloads them in other words if you're just going through the motions you're not really challenging the muscle and overload has to do with in that 90 second period of time you, a muscle should feel like it just doesn't want to anymore so whatever a kind of resistance training you use whatever you enjoy it doesn't matter you just need to challenge the muscles And two to three times a week is sounds general, but actually I think that as you get older, we want to particularly shoot for that three times during the week because we just tend to, like it or not, be a little less active even as we're trying to keep moving. We need to maybe stress out a little bit more. And then in terms of flexibility training, two to three times a week, tied with your resistance training is best because that's when you've, Really contracted and worked a muscle and then you stretch it after to complete the process.
0: Mm. And, and so would you, would you say in general, I don't know if I'm being too, too detail oriented and picky again, but that you want to separate your cardio and your resistance into different days.
1: It depends again on your goals. If you are really trying to build up some muscle, then you don't want to tie your cardio right to your Muscle training, because it can tend to have a diminishing effect on getting that solid muscle built, and you'll also have energy problems. For those of us who are doing some kind of for healthy adult fitness, it's a good idea to just do you know every other day, but always walk every day just because that's part of being a good animal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, and there's another area of that's new to the research called neuromotor training. Yep. And it's there's not evidence about it, ex- and other than that, the researchers say we need to look into this more. And that's things that specifically challenge your body and mind in movement, such as tai chi, um, yoga, those kinds of things. Now, I think that all exercise connects your brain to your body, but this is a, another avenue of focus that's being looked into. <laughs>
0: Well, I can't, I can't let that go without commenting yeah. on the, the typical American gym, which I, I really try to avoid. Um, mm-hmm. where everyone's plugged into a, a screen now. Uh-huh. Right. And people, it's like people are, people are like, it's like babysitting their, their bodies. <laughs> like, you know, their bodies on the treadmill, but their brain just wants to be, uh, somewhere else it, it just seems so disjointed you're saying that there's actually research that when your brain and your body are both focused on the same thing that can have benefits
1: that is what the, there is being looked into like there if, this is in, reported in that american college of sports medicine report i told you about came out in 2011 they said we don't have much research but we know there's enough there that we need to look into this more seriously
0: Fascinating. I guess yeah. the cultures that have been doing um, mindful movement for thousands of years know something.
1: I'm guessing so. Yeah, and we know it experientially. Everybody knows what you feel like after a yoga class. or something different going on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a lot of people, it's a way in that they cannot get through meditation uh, or, or, or any other any other sort of you know cognitive or emotional. Um, avenue that doesn't involve the physical body.
1: Yeah, and that's that's exciting to me because that means that there we can do so much through the body by engaging the body and then you know attaching this mind component to it. You can make a deeper impact than oftentimes in just going with an internal focus. At the same time. My favorite form of meditation is one that is actually through the body where you look at that. Maybe you're familiar with um, insight meditation. This is where you look at the sensations that are in your body um, and you don't have to have any religious belief or believe in any higher power. You just look at what's going on in your body and it makes a big difference. So you can do so many of these things just by going through the body. It's an amazing conduit for change.
0: Yeah well when you think about what what it knows and what it can do Yeah um it's uh you know it's it's silly not to try to uh you know enlist its wisdom uh, yeah. just you know just as opposed to just trying to you know overthink everything Yeah Well Lanny, it's been so great to talk to you. I feel like I personally have have learned a ton. I feel like I just well, got good. A, a, a free consultation. So I hope, <laughs> I hope other people feel feel I that way so as well. I hope so too. It's so, been
1: a very uplifting conversation. I feel like we've just really magnified what you can achieve by being connected with with movement and by paying attention to what and when you eat. And you know, these are such important healthy concerns. I'm really excited that we had this. so thank you
0: you know what? Actually, once you mentioned uplifting, I gotta finish where we started, which was the fact that I'm standing, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sitting slumped. Congratulations, and you, and you, you made it. I did. Actually, I've been pacing.
1: Uh huh.
0: <laughs> which might be even might be even better. Um, well, you but- know
1: why? Because now, when you're moving, you're working your calf muscles, and your calf muscles are your peripheral pump. They move the oxygen up to your heart for reoxygenation. The blood up to your heart for reoxy- the J- uh, re-oxy- okay. reoxygenization, and it also, when your calf muscles squeeze, they pump the lymphatic fluid out of your legs. So now you get to go through an hour like this without coming out feeling maybe sleepy and brain fog because you had your blood moving and you had your lymph moving. Very powerful.
0: That is amazing. And the reason I started is I just saw one of Dr. Greger's videos saying, which, which said something that, that completely blew me away. It says, if you sit a lot, it doesn't matter how active you are when you're not sitting, the damage is done. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, now I'm seeing that you've, you teach people this. So what, can you talk for just a couple of minutes before we close up about the, the, the health Impact of, of sedentarism, as you call it, yeah. too much.
1: Yeah, for for these hours, uh, these chunks of time that we spend sitting, uh, research shows are rapidly accelerating disease biomarkers. That means, for every extended hour that you're not standing or moving, your triglycerides raise, your cholesterol raises, your lipoprotein lipase function. Becomes diminished in the muscle and increased in the fat tissue, meaning you're more likely to store fat than, you know, burn it for energy. Uh, glucose sensitivity changes. Um, insulin resistance changes. And the research tells us, as you were mentioning from Dr. Dirk D- that even if you are a person who works out regularly, like I go to the gym for 45 minutes every day, I do my run half an hour every night. Even if you're doing that, if you have protracted periods of time when you were sitting during the day, your disease biomarkers accelerate just as rapidly as for someone who is sedentary all the time. You're probably healthier because you did your exercise, but person for person, those biomarkers accelerate just the same. So I know it's not fair, but the thing is, you know, it's an easy fix. It just means that you adapt by creating a, a, alter, a standing alternative as you did today. It also means that you just get yourself up every hour to do something for three to five minutes. This is where fit quickies come in perfectly. But it could be any kind of activity that you like. If you're home, you could go up and empty the dishwasher, walk out and get the mail. If you're at the office, you can walk to the far room end of the room to use the bathroom or the drinking fountain. You can take your phone calls standing up. There are you just have to get creative with solutions, but don't allow yourself to sit for large chunks of time.
0: Hmm. So what do you what do you do at the office? You're, you're at a desk. Everyone's at a desk. Um, what, do you, what do you what Well, that's what, what I said. You of your can clients- break it up
1: your movement by, you know, every hour set your timer. I'm going to go to the far go run a flight of stairs and come back down. I'll go to the uh, drinking fountain at the far end of the building. I'll walk to uh, the further place for lunch. I'll take my phone call standing. I'll, you know, these are all ways that you can sneak in less sitting. Mm.
0: Okay, one one more question, and do do you happen to know anything about squatting versus sitting? Is squatting as bad, you know, to like on your haunches? Well,
1: I'll tell you what. When you're squatting, you your workload is increased, correct, because you have to hold your balance and your muscles are engaged. Right. So that's a step in the right direction. It's more active. So it isn't quite in the same boat, but I don't know if someone would be able to squat for three hours. See, they'd be more likely to get up and move around, so maybe I should vote on that one. Yeah.
0: Well, cause when I lived in Africa, you know, I, I would see what, what looked like people living much more natural lives. And they you know, they didn't have chairs. Yeah, but, but I bet they know,
1: weren't squatting for three hours at a time. I bet they were getting up more often, wouldn't you say? Observationally? Right. They, would,
0: they, would, they would squat for meals.
1: Oh sure, yeah. So
0: maybe fifteen, twenty minutes, and then the rest of the time they were either standing or lying down. There was there was almost yeah. no sitting unless they had you know progressed and, and yeah. You, you know, I think the time the time level.
1: limitations on that just build into it more movement.
0: Mhm. All right. Well. Cool. So I'm I'm happy to be standing. I think uh, I'll, I'll put, <laughs> the other the other thing was I've been getting complaints from people I was interviewing that my chair is squeaking, <laughs> so that <laughs> solves that problem too. That's great. <laughs> um, so for people who want more information, I have your book here, Fit Quickies. It is it is comprehensive. It's remarkable in in how useful it is. For if you just open it up anywhere at random, there's a thing you can do with great illustrations. Um, and there's the whole, you know, and that's kind of what I did. I have to admit, I did not, as, as we're talking, I'm starting to go through the the foundation and structure of it so I get a better understanding. Sure. But even, sure. even just opening it up, it had a lot um, that I could just, you know, news you could use sort of right away. Yeah, So yeah, I, I recommend that to folks. And where else can people go to find more about you?
1: LannyMuelrath.com, which is my blog and website, L-A-N-I-M-U-E-L-R-A-T-H.com. And I have archives of articles about fitness and plant-based eating and how what a perfect wedding they are. I also have the Plant-Based Blueprint, which is a document that I created to help people see what it actually looks like to eat like a plant-based fitness person every day, as opposed to a recipe book which is great. You know, we have a lot of those, like here's the diet prescriptive and here are recipes for you. But I remember thinking, you know, I bet that would be interesting to someone to kind of see what exactly does it look like on someone's plate day after day. And I so I put together a couple versions of that, and that's a resource of people. Um, and in, in, if you forget my name, if you just type in Fit Quickies, you'll find me.
0: <laughs> awesome. That's a that, that's a great brand it's fun,
1: isn't it? Why not have
0: fun right?' Cause, you know um so, you know get get fit quick um if it's available to to buy as a domain would be you know tens of thousands of dollars. get fit slow, maybe ten bucks so <laughs> definitely, definitely quick is uh is something people want yeah, so Lanny Mulerath, thank you so much for taking the time. You are an inspiration you're a guide, and you're a light of sanity so i I feel uh smarter about fitness than I did an hour ago.
1: Well, my pleasure, and I'm honored to have those descriptive words because that's to what I aspire. So thank you very much, Howard.
0: All right. Well, take care.
1: Okay.